I just pray today, Holy Spirit, come and fill me, speak through me. Lord, I pray that each person here, God, would not leave here the same as when they came in. Lord, that you would challenge those who do not believe in you, God, to take a life living for you, God. You would challenge those who do believe in you to live even more passionately for you, to take, to take us all into a deeper, more awesome place of the life you call us to, Lord, the life you've saved us into. God, in your name, amen. Amen. So I just want to start by telling you a story of a friend of mine called Mark. And Mark, one day, what he did was he went, um, he decided he was going to go ice fishing, and he goes, he goes out onto the ice, and he starts cutting a hole in the ice, and he's cutting a hole in the ice, and this voice behind him says, there are no fish under the ice, and he's, he doesn't even look up, and he's just carrying on going. And he just, he just says, just, he just shouts back, he's just like, get away with it, there's always, that's where the fish live, they don't live in the sky, and he's carrying on going, and suddenly the voice comes again. There are no fish under the ice, and the voice filled the whole space around him, it freaked him out, and he's like, <gasps> looks around, because it's loud, and coming from everywhere, and Mark looked up, and he was just like, God, is that you? And the voice came back, and it said, no, it's the manager of the ice ring. <laughs> Sometimes we miss the blatant truth that's staring us right in the face. We miss the truth that's set before us. Do we sometimes see the truth and it's pretty obvious, but we don't act on that truth? Our lives don't line up with the truth that's set before us. And see, this Easter today for us as a church, I, I just really felt God was leading me to this part in scripture and that's going to be where we're going to be camped today and it's just before the crucifixion where Pilate and Jesus are having these chats and it's kind of this trial section where but it's this quite intimate talks between Jesus and Pilate himself where they they have this amazing dialogue and so we'll look at that in a few kind of bits around it um, but I believe that what God is saying today as a challenge to us is to be a people, to be a church who pursue truth. Don't just know truth, but pursue truth. To live our lives directed by truth. That the truths that we know, the, the things we see around us, the things we read in scripture, that the truth is what guides our lives and directs our lives and impacts our decisions. So guys, if you've got your Bibles, turn to John 18, verse 33. If you've got it. it. says this. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation, the chief priest, delivered you to me. What, what, is, what have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants, they would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? 
what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Okay, so that's going to be where we're going to be camped today. I'm just going to explain a little bit about the context of what's going on through that passage, and then we'll look a little bit more at truth and a couple of truths we get out of that passage. Okay? So the context for us today is first century Jerusalem. The Romans are occupying the place. It's their seat of power. Pilate has a lot of authority in that place, but actually the ruling elite of Israel, they had a lot of power. The Romans gave them quite a bit of power to manage a lot of domestic stuff, but they weren't allowed to execute anybody. That's why they're bringing Jesus to Pilate, because he needs to execute him. And um, the ruling elite of Israel, they're corrupt. It's this environment, if you think of the context of what's going on here, there's an environment there of lies, of deception, of corruption, of cruelty. When you dig into really what's going on and really like read those sto- the story of what's happening with Jesus, it's just such, it's such a story of not pursuing the truth, not pursuing the truth of the matter, that suddenly one thing is this and the, the kind of chief priests and Jewish leaders, they're, they're taking and kind of clutching at straws, going to different things things why Jesus should be crucified. First they're trying to make it seem like it's his like it he's standing against Rome, standing against Caesar. Then it comes down to just being like, look actually it's all against our laws. He's claiming to be God. And <clears throat> They're just not upholding the truth. You know, much of Jesus' ministry as well, speaking to these guys, saying, you know, that you're twisting the word of God for your own ends, that these guys weren't pursuing truth. The Jewish leaders of that day as well, they were, and this is quite significant for understanding the passage and why what's happening is happening, is they actually had a, a lot more power than they probably should have because Pilate was actually notoriously weak. The Jews um, and the Jewish leaders of that day had outmaneuvered Pilate on a number of times, and it had culminated prior to this, and then complaining to the Emperor Tiberius, saying stuff about Pilate, lies about Pilate, things about Pilate, and so Tiberius was enraged, and he sends a letter to to Pilate. Uh, kind of reprimanding him and within that threatens to remove him due to the complaints given by the Jewish leaders there. So, you know, all of this stuff punctuates the trial of Jesus, the cross. All this stuff punctuates Easter and it's just so important for us to see that there's this kind of dark, weird, political, manipulative situation that the Son of God the truth steps into. The, the, the chief priests here, they bring Jesus to Pilate because he is the only one with the authority to actually execute him. But then, not asking to give, put him on trial, just saying, they start off by saying, we wouldn't have brought him to you if he wasn't, if he wasn't someone who'd been doing bad stuff. So, 
going through that kind of passage, Pilate actually, you, you see, he starts trying to pursue the truth. See, actually, are these guys saying the truth? And he starts with that question, are you king of the Jews? Why does he ask, are you king of the Jews? You know, if it was a religious thing, it would just be like, whatever. But he asks, are you king? Because really the, the charges being brought against him are saying that this is a king who's trying to rise up and stand against Caesar. This is someone who's trying to overthrow something in humanity, in a human kingdom. And um, it contextually, there's actually at a time when there's the various rebellions going on. The, the people of Israel actually were rebelling in different, different places and different times. <coughs> and there were people right there and then arrested because they'd just taken part in a rebellion. So it is quite likely, in fact, that the two guys either side of Jesus were really kind of terrorist rebels that have that have been involved in some uprising against Rome. I'll explain that a bit more in a bit. But the, the issue here is, okay, is there a power that's come who's a king who's challenging Caesar? And so Jesus then has this great conversation with Pilate, doesn't he? And he, he pretty much says to him, look, my kingdom isn't of this world. He never says, my kingdom is less than uh, like an earthly kingdom. He never says it, it, that it isn't above an earthly kingdom, that it, that it isn't greater than an earthly kingdom. And he kind of continues to say, he's, he says this, look, if my kingdom was of this world, then all my people here on this world, they would be here banging, banging on your door, fighting to have me released, fighting to see me released. In short, this kingdom is not a physical, political kingdom. This kingdom is something that is no threat to Rome. And then Jesus says the words, he says, that he has come to testify to the truth. He has come to testify to the truth, of which Pilate, with all the stuff that we now can see that's been going on, responds in this way, maybe kind of like in scoffing and in like, like this. Maybe, maybe there's a thing of like, look, you just don't understand sunshine. And he says, what is truth? What is truth? Pilate lives in this twisted world of twisted truths. He's experienced firsthand untruths being said about him, the malice of leadership, and just responds with that kind of question that's so kind of hopeless and scoffing. Pilate goes out then after that, and he says these awesome words. He says, I find no guilt in him. The man that's declared there, Jesus Christ, Son of God, this perfect sinless one, even with men and amongst the courts of the world, we find no guilt with him. But then ultimately, you know, point we're kind of coming to is that he doesn't aggressively pursue truth. He doesn't pursue truth at all costs to himself. And we know the story, right? He ultimately, he sentences Jesus. He stands against truth. Why does he stand against truth? Well, now we see that background of him, okay? When we see that background of him, who's been threatened by the emperor, he's afraid. He's afraid of losing his position. He's afraid of losing his power. And that phrase for us then, what is truth, could be spoken so easily today. 
Are there things that you maybe don't pursue truth in because there's something else which has a hold on you? There's uh, the Oxford English Dictionary's word of 2016 was post-truth. That now, in the last few weeks, we've had this massive scandal blow up to do with Cambridge Analytica. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but that's quite a, that's a big scandal and questioning everybody's concept of truth and what's okay, what isn't okay. So, you know, people speak as well, this kind of normal catchphrase saying, what is, you know, what is true for you? is okay, but that's not true for me. You know, what's true for you, that's all right, but that's not true for me. But really, guys, that's actually completely nuts because we maybe have different opinions about stuff and that's fine, but what is true, like this table is right here, okay? What is true is true. Paul says this verse, or Paul says that, um, you know, he says, actually, guys, look, if what we're doing, preaching the gospel, going out, being persecuted, being put to death, having all this, like, horrendous stuff happen to us for the sake of the gospel, if this truth is not real, then we should be pitied above all people, because look what we're going through. He never says, look, guys, this is true for us. If it's not true for you, that's okay. This, you guys, you guys have your own truth. C.S. Lewis says this, this quote here. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. Christianity is of such importance. If you're sat here today and thinking, well, you know, I've kind of come because I'm, yeah, I like church and it's okay, but I'm not, I'm like, it's okay for you, but I'm like sat on the fence kind of thing. Actually, it's not okay. It's desperately important. So if Christianity is true, then it's of utmost importance. If it isn't true, it doesn't matter. Pity me. I had a friend at university, we were discussing heaven and hell, and he said to me, James, maybe your heaven would be my hell, and my hell would be your heaven. And I was like, oh, that went on to another long conversation, but I was just like, man, you just don't get it. Hell is hell. Hell is not going to be heaven for anybody. The truth is the truth. And so, guys, the key thing I want you guys to take away from here today is this Easter, I believe that God wants to call us to unashamedly and courageously pursue and act on truth. The truth of his word, the truth of what this life is, the truth of what he has done. You see, there are many beautiful truths that we have through scripture, many beautiful things that he's brought us into. And really, ultimately, for us, for us are, are entering into them, they find their foundation at Easter. Because ultimately, they are founded in, they're rooted in the resurrected life that we have in Christ. If it wasn't for Christ, there would be nothing, that we couldn't even have the privilege of living in these truths. The truth of Easter has changed my life. The truth of Easter is something which has completely transformed my priorities in life. It's transformed the, the course of my life. It's transformed the hope I have for my life. As that video said, Easter changes everything. 
So stand for truth. And Jesus came to speak the truth, didn't he? That's what he says where he's speaking with Pilate there. He came to lead others into that truth as we hear his voice. And then as we hear that and we become disciples, as we follow him, are we not also called to lead people into that truth? And so standing for, for the truth, it means living according to the truth. Not understanding the truth, but living then counter to that truth. Stand for the truth, see the truth, and live for the truth. And so guys, today I just want to go into that passage and I want to share two core truths, two of those real foundational truths that we see in that passage. And I just hope today that you'll pick them up and run with them. Some of you guys, there's some of it, I, believe, I know lots of you guys already are running with it, okay? So for part number one, or truth number one, is you need a saviour. You need a saviour. Okay. We're going to look at Acts 18, 38 to 40, that last part about Barabbas. It says here, And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Robber's not actually a brilliant translation. If you go through other translations, really come up with insurrectionist. Other translations speak about Barabbas being this insurrectionist that had committed murder, so that he was like a rebel, a terrorist, part of um, a rebellion against Caesar. But within this, we have this beautiful picture where Pilate comes out and he declares, I find no guilt with this man. And Barabbas is freed. That's just, you know, mind-blowing. That there was no way that Barabbas could have legally been allowed to be released. There's no way Barabbas could have legally, they've been like, oh, actually, he's done a couple of nice things now. No. Justice has to be done. There's no way he could have been released. But the judge, Pilate, he comes in and he says about one of these customs that kind of alludes back to this old Levitical law. We see in this picture of what's going on with Barabbas, something back in Leviticus 16. Um, and what we have there is this the tradition, you guys may know it, on the Day of Atonement, when the sin of all the people are placed upon, are placed upon the goats, okay? Well, the different things are going on, but on the Day of Atonement, one of the things they do is they bring two goats, and one goat is given to the Lord. Another goat has hands laid on, and the sin of all the people is placed upon that goat, and then is released into the wilderness. And that, it's called the scapegoat. That's where we get the word and the phrase and the kind of concept of scapegoat from. And so that then is that goat's then released into the wilderness where it will surely die. You know, Jesus is the lamb. Sorry, the goat in that. That he. That's a picture there of the coming Christ. That one day who would take upon himself the sin of all mankind, who would be cast out. And you remember Jesus, the actual Golgotha, the um, 
Calvary is outside the city, cast outside of the camp, cast outside of the city. But Jesus isn't just kind of cast out into the desert. He's cast out into the ultimate desert, the desert of God's wrath. That is just the amazing picture that we see here, that there is no way that we could do it, you know, that Barabbas could get back in. And ultimately, we are Barabbas, the criminal, the rebel, who is set to suffer the cross, but Jesus takes his place. And as hard as a truth as it is to hear, is the same picture for us today, for all mankind, that we're separated from God, that we've sinned against God, that we have been the rebel, that we've rebelled against God, and that justice, that punishment is right there. But Christ takes our place upon the cross. Jesus came so that you and I could be reconnected to God. He came so that he would take your place on the cross, that he would take our place and have that punishment of our sin poured out on him instead of us. And so he dies and he completely defeats death. And on the third day, which is today, which is why we said that he is risen. On the third day, he is raised to new life again. And see, the truth of the resurrection is essential. You cannot have the crucifixion without the resurrection. It's not just about Jesus dying, but it's about Jesus rising again in the resurrection to fullness of life. Because, guys, why is that important? Because it is in his resurrection that we have eternal life. See, it's not about you. It's not about you ticking a load of different boxes and things like that, but it is all about him. You know, a good way to describe it, it's like when we put our faith in him, it's like we are buried in Christ. And that's what we use to talk about baptism, symbolic of we're buried in Christ. But then Christ is raised again, raised to new life. And so it's nothing to do with us. It just happens to be that we are in him. So make sure, you see, that the thing is we need a savior. It's not like there are options. We need a savior because what I've just described, you cannot do. So we celebrate that resurrection life today, a life which is only found in him. But fortunately, a life which is open to all with no barrier to any. What is it that Jesus said? He said, I came to be the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Why is that? Because nobody else has defeated death. See, we need to come to that point of defeating death in order to be reconnected to the Father. We need to have all sin paid for in order to be reconnected to the Father. No one else has done that. That is not possible in any other place on the planet for you to find apart from in Jesus Christ. No one else has paid the penalty for your sin apart from him. He is the way. You need a savior. And so if that truth, guys, is something brand new to you and you're like, well, I didn't actually realize that. I thought it was optional, you know. I encourage you, take hold of it. And at the end, we're going to have an opportunity where you guys can just respond to that and pray together. And it's not like, you know, okay, sign me up to the club or something like that. It's, this, it's a journey. You know, just let, let, let him in and begin that journey. <clears throat> truth number two. 
we have a king. We have a king. So, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. And I wanted to focus on the king aspect today because um, Easter is very much about salvation and, and our saviour. But also, we see through the whole Easter story, there is so much about our king and this life that we have been brought into. This life that we get to see, we're saved because he's our saviour, but then we can live every single day because he's our king. Jesus is a king. Is he your king? You know, Christianity, in a way, isn't really a religion. If you kind of class a religion as, okay, here's a set of laws you have to follow. Here's a set of stuff you have to do in order to get to a kind of heaven, you know, some like eternal thing. So you live your life, be as good as you can, and then if you're good enough, we'll do the old scale things, and then if it's all okay, you get to go to a better place. Christianity is nothing like that. It never speaks about that. See, it's not a set of things you have to do to get into heaven. Christianity is a relationship with the King. It's a relationship with God Almighty. And in that relationship, as you come into that relationship with the King, at the same time, you are also brought into his kingdom and all the things that come with that. It's about life, not about religion. It's about relationship. So I wanted to put this picture up that Jess designed. And, you know, I, I like this picture because it shows in a unique way the kingship of Jesus. It shows that crown of sacrifice, the crown of thorns, the king's crown. That he's not a king to lord it over people, but that he's a king who paid the ultimate price so that you and I could be brought back to him. That he is the king of glory, the king who sacrificed everything, the saviour king. And it also, this image, it shows a solar eclipse. That's what the top part is. Um, it shows this solar eclipse. And at the, uh, death of, the, the death of Christ on the cross, when he was there, there was a number of things happened. There was a big earthquake. The, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom, signifying the division between mankind and the Father being ripped and opened. And there was a solar eclipse. And often in the Bible, when we have big bodies, when I say bodies, I'm talking about planets and things like that happening in the heavens, it's often symbolic and representative of power and authorities. Authorities. And I just love that, that even in that moment, it kind of symbolizes that the authority and the rule. The, that image speaks about the savior king, but who is ruler over all, written in the heavens. You know, Jesus said after his resurrection, he said this, didn't he? He said, all power and authority in heaven and on earth have give, been given to me. Remember him saying that? That's our king. That is our king. All power, Jesus says, all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's massive. That's huge. That that's a truth that should change everything. You know, are we worried about certain things when we know that our king, all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him? That's our king. We can choose, and there are challenges, right? But we can choose to follow that truth that he is our king daily 
or not. We may know in the deepest part of our hearts that we're saved. We may know that Jesus is our saviour, but we may not live as Jesus as our king in every area of our lives. We may think, okay, I'm just about good enough to be saved and bumble through life till I die. And yes, hopefully, God, yeah, you're going to, I believe you're going to save me. But I don't believe I can live with you as my king and reign victorious myself in life. What am I speaking about here, guys? Because I want you guys, as you go out of here, to have Jesus as king in every area of your lives. Is Jesus king? Is Jesus just like a means to heaven? Or, if he is king, what that means is that he rules, that he rules in your life. And we have all sorts of different areas in our lives, right? Sometimes we can give some bits of our life to him and say, actually, I'll just keep on to this part for the time being. But that truth, that will we let him be king over our entire lives, that will transform your life. Because you see, for a believer in Jesus, this is one of the most, one of the most important truths to live, to go to that next level, to go to that other place where actually we stop holding on to stuff and start giving it to him. So some examples, for example, with finance. And I know I've had this times in my life where actually there was a part of my life where I was holding on to it, where I was king. But there came a point in my life where I let him come in and I let him be king of my finances. And that, the th things shift because it's like, okay, well, if he's king of kings and lord of lords and has all power and authority, then it begins to change something where it's just like, I'm, I'm not going to hold on to all this because I'm worried I won't have enough, you know? Suddenly the outlook changes, I become more generous and I become more giving. If the king is, if Jesus is king in your relationships, if he's king in your relationships, then peace and love and unity will be way more important to you than winning an argument. You will have good relationships with everybody because you will pursue love and they will be more important than you and certainly more important than your opinion. If he is king in your workplace, then people will become more important than promotion. Why is that? Why, when as he comes in and takes up, we give him the authority, the, the throne of these different areas of our lives, why does that change? It changes because Jesus Christ is love, and that love just comes into us in a whole fresh new way. It becomes that filter, the truth that we pursue everything through. Let me just take an example from that text. We looked at Pilate, didn't we? Pilate. <coughs> did not, even though he recognized Jesus was king, he knew there was like a truth in that, that Jesus was king. He did not make him his king. In fact, Caesar isn't even Pilate's king, because if Caesar was Pilate's king, he would have upheld the kind of the purity and the dignity of what his law should be. Ultimately, the king on the throne of Pilate's heart was his career, was his position, was his status. And they threaten that, don't they? Later on, we see in the text, it speaks about how he says, you know, any man, the, the leaders say this, any man who'd let Jesus live is no friend of Caesar. It's probably thinking, man, they're going to send another letter. This could be the end of me. This may be, this may be um, me done. Maybe I'll end up on the cross. What does Pilate pursue? He doesn't pursue the truth. You are a king. This man has no guilt. He pursues a lie. 
And so, guys, I encourage you today, I encourage you guys this Easter, if there are areas in your life that you know that he is not king, guys, let him in. At the end, we'll pray. Let's just let that be. Let him in. Make him king. Take action. So, pursue truth. Pursue truth. We are saved because he is the saviour, not because you did anything. And we can live a victorious life because he is the victorious king. We can live a victorious life because he is the victorious king. So guys, church, we're going to kind of come into land here. Guys, let's just think about this. Guys, if we are going to be a church that transforms the city, because that's our vision, right? See Hong Kong transformed. If we're going to be a church that transforms a city, if we're going to be a church full of individuals that are seeking to transform their workplaces, seeking to transform their families, seeking to bring the kingdom into their lives, then we need to be a church that's pursuing truth first. We've got to be pursuing truth. Our situations, our environments, whatever's affecting us, because we can't control them. We can't control what people at work are going to say or think about you and how they're going to treat you. We can't control what other people are going to speak about you. We can't control an office culture, you know, unless maybe we're the boss. We can't control our home cultures always, but I encourage you guys, bring bring the uh, culture of the kingdom into your homes and as challenging as it is we cannot let that affect us we cannot let that affect our pursuit of truth see our situations our environments can't impact us we're part of the body of Christ we're part of him we are but the Bible describes us as being his ambassadors here upon the earth ambassadors for the king So when we pursue the truth of the king, when we pursue that and we live it out and we act on those truths, we are being his ambassadors. We don't need to spend too much time thinking through, oh, it's a bit of a strange analogy, James, how do I be an ambassador? Follow the truth of the Bible and as you step out, you will be an ambassador of him. What does it mean? It means that your actions line up with the truth that's in his word. For example, the Bible speaks about how Jesus heals today, doesn't it? Our, our experience may be that only some people get healed when we pray for them. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, go, heal the sick. Let's just keep praying. Heal the sick. Heal the sick. But <clears throat> a picture of us as ambassadors, as kings, you see, there is no sickness within the kingdom. When Jesus healed people, he would often say to them, he'd say, the kingdom has come near you. And, you know, what that is, is we are bringing the rule, the authority of Jesus Christ into our worlds, into our homes, into our workplaces. We're bringing that culture of the kingdom because we are pursuing the truth of the king into every space that we step into. Because imagine all the people in the world today that have been healed, had their lives transformed and turned around because people, just like you guys, like normal people, just chose to pursue truth, chose to pursue the truth of Christ. If that, guys, is the truth that's within us, that we're pursuing, 
then people's lives are going to be transformed. I want to be part of a church like that, guys. I want to be part of a church that sees the truth of God manifesting in our midst, manifesting after the service, manifesting in our workplaces. I just, I, that, that's, what, that's what we all want, right? Not just to come, sing a few songs, hear me say something, and you're like, oh, that's interesting, go away. And it doesn't transform your life, and we don't see the world transformed. We want to see joy where there was brokenness. We want to see hope where there was hopelessness. A church where the world will know God is a church where we're pursuing truth because that we will pursue the truth and love each other and they will see him. See, we have the best news of all. Today, churches all over the world that we're joining with, the truth of Easter, that is the best news anyone could have. But the pilots of this world will say to you, maybe not in these words, but... What is truth? Maybe they're so jaded by the stuff that's happened to them. And you tell them a truth and they're like, that just sounds crazy. Too good, maybe. But the pilots of this world will say to you, what is truth? And guys, let us respond. Either in word, using these words, using our actions, using other words from scripture. But let us respond that he is the way. Not my church is the way, you know. Not this Christian book will really help you, although they're all great resources. If they don't know him, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the true saviour king. He is the true saviour. And guys, we're just going to round it off there and just have a bit of kind of ministry time. Then we're going to have some worship time. But do you sat here today need to start following him today? Maybe for you guys, for, for you, Jesus is your saviour. And that's not something you need to do. But maybe you need to say, that's me. Do you need today to make Jesus king of a certain area within your life? That there's actually a part of your life, or parts of your life, you're like, you know, God, I'm going to let you in to that space today. And is there some place in your life that you need help? that you need God to come into and bring transformation. So guys, just to set a place, I just want you guys, as your heads are bowed, if that's you for any of those things, I'll just pray with you. If that's you for any of those things, if you're here today and you want to start following Jesus, you need to make him king in an area of your life or you're just like God I just need your help I need you to come in and bring transformation to some situation in my life but I just want I don't want to embarrass you I just want you to chuck your hand in the air and I just want to pray for you thanks thank you thank you thanks thank you with other folks just going to come around and pray with you guys
Thank you that you are the mighty God. Thank you, Lord, that you are the ultimate truth, that we have the honor and privilege of pursuing you and your truth alone, God. Lord, I pray.
pray for each person here just now that has put their hand up. If anyone put their hand up to receive you, God, Lord, I just thank you for that, God, because you are the Savior, God. Lord, if there's people here who want to enthrone you in a place in their heart that they have not, that they've kept shut off from you, I thank you, God, that you are just so loving and so gentle, God. Lord, that your rule in our hearts, God, whatever we give you, that we can trust you above any other thing. We can trust you more than ourselves to rule it. Lord, and I just thank you, God, and I pray for each person here that you would just hold them and you would keep them. Lord, that as we leave this place today, that we would not forget this, that we would stand truth, even at our discomfort, that we would be people pursuing your truth, the beautiful truth of Easter.